In the last two months, we've looked at these uh, I am statements in the Gospel of John. You know, every time Jesus says I am, he's saying something pretty profound. He's saying something um, that's very deep about himself. For one, that he is God, but also that he meets a need. For example, when he says, I am the bread of life, he truly satisfies the hunger of our soul. When he says, I am the light of the world, he truly brings us into reality, help us see the light. He, when he says, I am the, the gate or the door, he's the entrance or access into a better life. When he says, I am the good shepherd, we, we know that there's someone who's leading us, who's providing for us. When he says, I am the, um, the way, the truth, and the life. We know that Jesus is the, the certain path to our Father to be in his home forever. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he not only gives us hope for the day we die that we'll rise to be with him, but even here on earth that our life can, can start afresh. And so today we're looking at the last of the statements, and I think it's a great way to end the series. Because Jesus, up in the upper room with his disciples, is telling them things they need to know before he leaves this earth. And he says to them these words, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now he's saying this in the upper room. This is called, these are called the upper room discourses, the teachings of Jesus, the last teachings to his disciples before he went to the cross. He washes their feet and begins to talk to them about a new commandment. And then we go to John 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We come to John 15, as we'll look at today, and even John 16. All these teachings are to prepare his disciples, because Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth. And he wants to prepare them for the challenges and the responsibilities that lie before them. Jesus won't be with them. He won't be the one to be leading the charge anymore. He's going to go to heaven. They're going to be responsible for the welfare of the church. And I'm sure they're getting a little panicked. Like, how are we going to do this without Jesus? Jesus, if you leave us, how are we going to carry on your ministry? And the things that Jesus tells them, I think, are the very same things he would tell us today. Because we have the same issue. How do you follow a Jesus that isn't physically present? How do you have a relationship with the Lord who's not here, like walking among us that we can see and touch? How do you do that? Well, he was preparing them for that kind of relationship. And how he prepared them really is a way of preparing us as well. So as we get ready to read into John 15, I'm going to ask if you would pause and ask God to speak to you. As Matt said, our mission is to say yes to God. To, we want to listen to his voice, hear what he's saying to us today. And whatever it is that he's telling you to do, to say yes to that. So Father, we come before you asking for wisdom, asking for grace, asking you to speak very clearly, powerfully through your words, so we know the next step in our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, starting with verse 1. I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. For my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. 
and no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, this is called an allegory. An allegory makes a lot of parallels. It's like, it's like a, a story or a, a lesson that, that has a lot of commonalities, though it doesn't use words like like or such as. Jesus doesn't say, I'm like a vine. He actually says, I am the vine. And it's more direct and in some ways more powerful when you teach in that style. Um, so Jesus presents this story, and there are three characters in the story. First, there's the father, who's the gardener. The father is the gardener. And Jesus makes it clear that, that the garden belongs to him. Just as a farmer plants a field, the field belongs to him, all the produce belongs to him. So the gardener has planted a vine that he, that he intends to bear fruit for himself. Not for the benefit of the grapes, so they will benefit, but for the benefit of the Father. We, we have to remember something that Jesus knew very well, that it is all for his glory. Everything that we do is for his glory. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. It says Jesus was given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we pray the Lord's Prayer at the very end, and, and yours be the kingdom, and the power, and what else? And the glory forever. Um, glory is, is the praise and credit and, and attention that God gets for doing what only God can do. And in our lives, either we get a lot of praise directed at us, or we deflect it to God. And Jesus was constantly deflecting all the glory, all the praise to his Heavenly Father. We're told in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10.31, and whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. You know, when you go to lunch today, eat to the glory of God. Eat in a way that reflects that God has blessed you. Eat in a way that, that caused people to thank your God. Give Him the glory in everything that you do. See, this is so important to remember because we can slide very easily into the place where we think the world revolves around me, and God is there, kind of like my cosmic bellhop, that when I snap my fingers or say a prayer, he's supposed to come and help me do my thing. So God, you're like a, 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 you're a supplement to my life. But the world really revolves around me. And I'll call on you when I need you. When I, when I don't need you, I won't bother you. And we think God says, yes, sir, and he steps back out of the way. But God says, no, the world revolves around me. I'm at the center of the world. You belong to me. And so when we pray, instead of saying, God, I need you to do this, God, would you do this for me? We should be saying, God, I want to glorify you in my life. And here's how I see I could do that. Would you bless that? Would you reveal that? Would you give favor to that? Because we want to make sure that our lives are giving glory to God. It's not to ourselves. We need to ask God for what God can do through me more than what he can do for me. And here's what God does for me. And you're not going to like this. Because we don't like this part of it. As a gardener, he prunes me. So I'll be more fruitful. So he goes through and he finds the dead branches. He cuts them off, throws them in the fire and they burn. And that all makes sense. But then he comes along and lifts up the vine and says, now here's one that's grown pretty well. And if you were that branch growing well, you go, yes, look at me. I'm growing really well, Lord. And he goes, but I'm going to cut you back right now. You go, no! I'm growing like you want me to. Yes, you are. But you're growing in too many places and we need to concentrate 
See, you prune good things. You prune where there's life in order to redirect resources to where there can be better life or more life. And, and my dad, when we were kids, wanted to make his own wine. So he planted a couple grapevines, built a trellis, and as the years went by, the, the vines grew longer and longer, and he began to weave them onto the trellis. So it formed a nice covering. And I remember when my dad would walk through there in the springtime when the vine was really growing, it would start to cut the branches way back. In fact, you'd even snip some that had little buds of grapes on it. And I'd go, Dan, what are you doing? Those are grapes. Yeah, I says, we could have a nice full vine all summer long with real puny sour grapes by the end of summer. Or we can trim it back and have less growth so it have plumper, juicier, sweeter grapes. And, you know, all plants have this, this process of growing these little sucker branches and extra ones that, that want to grow. And, and, they, and they sprout out and we just say, hey, they all can't grow equally. And I don't want them all to grow, so we're going to cut these good ones, these living ones, off. Now that makes sense with plants, but it hurts really bad when it's us. When you say, God, I'm growing, God says, I know you're growing. Way to go. Keep growing. And then God says, but I need to cut something out of your life. Goes, no! Don't do that. God says, you got too many things on your plate. You only have so much time so much money, so much energy to focus, and I want you to concentrate, so I need to prune some things out of your life. Since you won't do it yourself, I'll do it for you. And even churches go through this process. There was a book called Simple Church, written several years ago, and the whole philosophy behind it was that churches tend to do everything for everybody and end up doing very few things really well. And so the challenge of the book was find out those things that you really believe God God wants to bless the most and focus on those few things and do them really well. And don't try to be everything to everybody because you can't do that. It's impossible. And so every time, you know, it sounds good in theory, but when you say, okay, we're not going to offer that anymore, so it goes, hey, that's my favorite thing. That's my favorite. When we stopped having Saturday night service, some people said, hey, that service is growing. It's going well. And it was. It actually it wasn't dying. But we, had to, we, we pruned there because we believed that what God was doing on Sunday mornings with our kids and youth, youth that we want to grow that ministry. And we need people to bring their kids on Sunday to be here so we can minister to them. And we need people to volunteer with our next-gen ministry so we can reach the next generation. And we can't do that Saturday, but we can do it Sunday really well. So sometimes you prune things. Now, how does it happen? Pruning isn't fun, so you know it's going to hurt. God does it through discipline, and he does it through trials. He does it through discipline, and he does it through trials. Things that we don't desire. In fact, some of the greatest growth experiences of our lives, we would say, God, that hurt. I don't want to ask for that again, but you sure did bless me through that. That's the way it is. And so if you're going through a period of very, very tough times, a period of hardship in your life, maybe you feel like these are trials. Know this. You have a father who loves you and sometimes willingly inflicts hardship on you to prune you. We see that in 1 Peter, in the very first chapter. Peter's explaining to the believers there that in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, so you guys are going through these tough times, but that's okay. God loves you enough that he wants to refine your faith. He's pruning things out to make what's, what's left better. So the gardener prunes us. Father is a gardener. 
Jesus is the true vine. That's the next character. Jesus is the true vine, as opposed to the bad vine, which was the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, God called his people a vine, but he says they produced bad fruit. And time after time, just the fruit continued to be bad. The kingdom after kingdom was bad. And even though people would say, like, I'm an Israelite, I'm attached to Abraham, I'm of that lineage, Jesus said, that's not the, it's not so great being attached to there, but you really need to be attached to it as me. I am the real, true vine. And he says that apart from me, you can do nothing. You and I need to know that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing of lasting value. I can't do anything of lasting, I can do a lot of things. I can't do anything that really points people to God. And, and keeps the focus on him. And that's the goal. Jesus says, um, you are like a branch. That when that branch is detached from the vine, it really can't produce anything. And so the things that we do have very little lasting impact if you do it apart from Christ. For three years, Jesus was um, training these disciples to do ministry. And they really thought he was going to set up a kingdom. They thought he was going to be like David. He was going to set up an earthly kingdom. He was going to uh, defeat the Romans. And Israel would once again be a great nation. And then Jesus says, no, that's not the kingdom I have in mind. And, and these guys didn't know what to do. They didn't understand what Jesus meant by a kingdom. And Jesus said, my kingdom is of the heart. When I reign in a person's heart. And so I'm getting ready to leave, guys. So I'm not going to be doing a kingdom right here. I'm getting ready to leave. And when I go, um, you're going to be in charge. So how, how is God going to reign? How is Jesus going to reign through these disciples that are left down there? Well, here's what Jesus says. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, all three of those chapters, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send a comforter, an advocate, who will be with you forever. He will remind you of the things I've taught you. He will teach you what is yet to come. He will testify about me. This spirit will live inside of you. He will be my presence in your life to carry you forward. You won't be abandoned. You won't be left to do this on your own. See, if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. But if you allow him to do it through you, you'll succeed. See, Jesus says he's the true vine because he supplies the resources we need. These rich resources, this, this source of life. That theme of life keeps coming up again and again in John's gospel. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's wanting his life to flow through us. Just like sap flows through the vine to the branches, his life source flows from him to us. Now, maybe maybe the farming analogy doesn't work real well for us. Maybe, maybe it's talking about electricity will. Um, this is a drill that I got early in our marriage probably about 30 years old, heavy-duty Black & Decker drill. Um, this drill used to be a real good friend of mine until last fall when I was working on the top of a deck and I fell and this, this drill fell and knocked me on the head and put me in the emergency room. So he's not a real good friend anymore. But anyway, when this thing's plugged in to an outlet, it has a lot of power. It can drill holes, it's drilled thousands of holes, it can drive um, screws into boards. I mean, it's a very good tool, but apart from the electricity, can't do anything. I mean, I can hammer with this, kind of. It's not real productive. It's got to be connected. And when it's connected, the power flows. And so just like a branch connected to the vine, we've got to be connected to allow the power to flow in our lives. And so when Jesus was raising up his disciples, he said, you know what, I'm going to send you guys out. 
I'm going to send you out two by two. He sends them out. He says, go preach like I've been preaching. Um, lay hands on people. Heal them like I've been doing. Drive demons out of people like I've been doing. And so they go up. And guess what happens? Those things happen. They preach. They heal. They deliver demons out of people. And they come back saying, wow, Jesus, it worked. It happened. And I don't think Jesus is surprised at all. Yeah, that's the way I intended it to happen. You're an extension of me. So, um, but here's the problem. When Jesus is on earth, that makes a lot of sense. When he's right there with you, when he's like home base, you come back to Jesus, you get reconnected, spend the night with him, walk around and live, then he sends you back out. You know. But now Jesus says, I'm not going to be here anymore. You're not going to get to hang out with me anymore. How are we going to do that? How are we going to stay connected to the power? So here's what Jesus did. He says, um, you're going to be like this. See, this doesn't have to be plugged into a wall. You know why? It's got the power with it. The power goes everywhere this little guy goes. Everywhere, out to the street, to the backyard, to the roof, everywhere. No cords dangling anywhere. The power is right here inside of it. And Jesus says, you are going to have the Holy Spirit in you, God's power supply into you. You don't have to come back and see me. You've got it with you. So go out there. Go do my ministry because I'm right inside of you. And so Jesus says, I've got what you need. Just stay connected to me. Stay, stay, stay connected to that power supply. Because apart from it, you're not going to be able to do anything. I pull that thing out. It's dead. It doesn't do anything. But once it's in, man, it has all kinds of potential. So Father is the gardener. He prunes us. Jesus is the vine. He supplies us, and I am, and you are, the branch. The branch. One of many similar branches, all connected to the very same vine, Jesus Christ. But here's what God wants to do in us. He wants to produce fruit. And not just any kind of fruit, but fruit that's abundant, abundant, much fruit. He wants to produce much fruit in our lives. When, when someone plants a tree, plants a vineyard, they want a lot. They, they, they want it to be bountiful. They don't just plant and say, if I get one grape, that's hallelujah. No, I want bunches of grapes. I want a lot of fruit. I want a, I want a bumper crop. And God looks at us and says, yeah, I could, I could get one little piece of fruit from you, but I would like your whole life just to be an overflow, a basket full of fruit. Now, what, what kind of fruit is it? Well, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, it reminds us that our very purpose in life is to bear fruit for the Lord. It says in verse 4, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So what does that look like? What is, what is fruit for God? We don't want fruity Christians. That's a turnoff. But we want fruitful Christians. What does it look like? Well, one of the very clear definitions of fruit is called the fruit of the Spirit. It's found in Galatians chapter 5. It's the fruit of character. It says in that passage of Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then note this, against such things there is no law. You, you'll never find a law anywhere that says, hey, enough of that joy. You're breaking the law. Too much joy in that household. Uh, too, too much self-control, okay? You're going to get arrested for that. Too much self-control. No, there's no law against these things. They're all good things. Things that come from the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes you can look around a church and go, yeah, churches is full of very, a lot of really nice people. That's after many, many years of spiritual growth. If you knew all of us before we came to know Christ, you would find self-centered, 
unkind, rude, depressed, unloving people. And the reason we're different now, not that we're perfect, but we're different is because of the fruit of the Spirit changing us. Filling us with something that's not from ourselves. It comes from Him. Our joy, our patience, our love comes from Him. But there's another kind of fruit that Scripture mentions. It's found in the book of Galatians. It says that we are to be bearing fruit in every good work. So we do good things like, like help people, share with people, carry one another's burdens. Those are all good deeds uh, that, that bear fruit, that give evidence God is in our life. They're things that a lot of people wouldn't do. In fact, you can go around the world, um, and we take for granted how gracious so many Americans are. A lot of it is because of that Christian heritage. We, we learn like Jesus to love other people. And then um, there's this fruit called confession. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that profess his name. When we give credit to God with our lips, and it may be through singing, it may even just be through testifying, the sacrifice of praise saying, God did it. I know people get, get sick and tired in the sports world of Tim Tebow's constant praising of God for everything he does, but you know what? I have to admire the guy. He, he's, he's deflecting it from himself to God. And it's a fruit of lips that profess his name. So how do we do that? How do we produce that kind of fruit more and more and more? Well, the secret to producing fruit is actually very easy. It's to abide. If a, if a branch wants to pr produce fruit, all it really needs to do is stay connected to the vine. If it gets disconnected, it won't produce. If it stays connected, it will produce. You know, if branches could speak, we would never hear branches go, Come on, fruit! Come on! Come on! There's one right there. there come on! No, fruit. The, the branches just say, I'm just relaxing here, connected to the trunk. I'm just enjoying life. And there's an apple right there. Look at that. Look at There's another one. Man, this, this is awesome. There's another one. You know, it's, it's just the natural process of staying connected. I mean, the more you stay connected, the more you're going to produce. So, I mean, sometimes we make Christian life so complicated. Like, I've got, I got to do all this stuff for God. I've got to dig deep. I've got to... And maybe what Jesus is trying to tell us is, you know, it's not that hard. Stay close to me. Stay really, really close to me. And if you do that, I will produce the fruit in you. It'll become natural. You will want to do the things that I desire in your life. You will start to feel the way I want you to feel about people and situations. I will do that. See, he says in here, using the word remain in the New International Version, some of your Bibles say abide in me. You know, abide. Uh, if you think of what an abode is, it's a house. Abide means to live with. Live with me. Remain in me. Stay close to me. Jesus is saying, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. One of the ways we abide in him is to spend frequent time in the word. Um, we, we get in the Bible and we ask God to speak to us through it. Now, I'm a fan of reading the Bible, but I'm not a real fan of reading the Bible just to check your box saying, I read a chapter that day. I'm a real fan of, of reading the Bible from the perspective of God speak to me today through your word. Tell me what you want me to do, and then reading and, and looking with eager eyes. God wants to direct our paths through his word. In fact, one of my favorite psalms is the very first psalm. And as David writes this psalm, listen to the power of the word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law, how often? 
day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in the season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, he's saying if you let the, the word of God just permeate your life, you're like a tree that's sending it root, its roots way down to the riverbank. You have this constant source of nourishment flowing up and your life will be blessed. He says whatever, whatever you do will prosper. You'll have success in your marriage, in your parenting, in your business, uh, in your neighborhood. You'll, you'll find God blessing every part of your life because your life's being saturated with your understanding of what God desires. And at least this other one, other part of abiding, that's, these are two very core things that disciples do. Spend frequent time in the Word and frequent time in prayer. Communication is the key. And talking to the Lord. See, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. You may think, wow, that's like a Aladdin's lamp. If I just ask Jesus, he's going to give me anything I want. Well, go back a little bit. Yes, if your heart's being formed by spending time in his word. See, if, if your heart's being shaped by the word of God, I believe you have, you have clarity of what to ask for and confidence that God will do it. Now, I don't believe if, if you said, well, I, I'm going to pray that God helps me win the lottery. Okay, did you get that from Scripture? Is that, is that what God's teaching you from Scripture, or is that just your desire? Because if it's not God's desire, you don't have any confidence in praying that. But if you're praying, God, I pray that you would improve my marriage. You'd help me to fall in deeper love with my spouse. Is that something that Scripture says that God would desire? Yes, absolutely. Does God want us to be reconciled with our kids? Absolutely. If I can pray with confidence for those things. He says, when your heart's being guard, or guided by my word, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. Why? Because this gives my Father great glory when you bear fruit. See, one of the greatest ways to bear fruit is to pray. And we think prayer is, is preparation to do some other work, and oftentimes it is the bigger work. Because if you write a book, or if you build a building, or you sing a song, and even if it's directed to God, People will look to you oftentimes and say, man, you are talented. You are something else. You've got what it takes. But when you, when you go to God in prayer and say, God, the doctors have said this is impossible, but I'm going to believe you it's possible. So I'm praying. And God answers that prayer. He gets 100% of the credit. And there, there are so many things in our lives that we're trying to figure out and see what we can do. And, and I think God says, you know what? Spend time with me. Get to know my heart. Know what my desires are. And then come boldly in prayer, seeking those things. Because they bring me great glory. It causes people to stand back and go, nobody could have pulled it off except for God. And see, Jesus says a little bit further down in this passage, uh, in, verses, uh, in verse 15. I, I tell you truly, whoever believes in me will do the, oh, this is John 14. John 14. You'll do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Next verse. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows that when we pray and God answers, he gets great glory. And I don't know why. You know, every Sunday we invite people to come up and pray. And, uh, and sometimes people come up and a lot of times... Many of you stay right where you are. And I'm, just, I'm just pleading with you. Why don't you ask God for something great? Why don't you ask God to do something? I've got issues in my life. I'm a pastor. You've got as many issues in your life too. Why aren't you praying? Why aren't you asking people to rally beside you and pray with you for these things? For your kids, for your marriage, for your job, for your health. Why aren't you doing that? 
We want to come before God. He invites us to come before Him and ask for bold things so that He can prove Himself powerful and good and gracious and as an end result, be praised for what He does.